0: We're in, we're in Titus, turn your Bibles back to Titus, and what we're looking at this morning, it's character, character, and, we, and what, if you're new here at Calvary Chapel, what we do is we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, through the entire New Testament on Sunday mornings, and we do that, because Jesus, Jesus in his word tells us that his word is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, Paul said to Timothy in that epistle, he said, preach the word. In season, out of season. So we're just following scripture. We're preaching the word, in season, out of season. Whether it's cool or not, we're going to preach the word here. And if you come to Calvary Chapel, you'll learn the entire New Testament, about a four to five year journey. Every four or five years, we go through the entire New Testament, a gospel, then the entire New Testament, verse by verse. So we're in the epistle of Titus. Uh, Title of my message this morning is, Character Counts. Character Counts. And what we're going to see this morning is Paul is, is, is uh, context. Paul is giving uh, uh, some guidance to Titus. If you remember, Titus, as we talked about last week, is a pastoral epistle. It's a letter of Paul to another pastor. His name is Titus. And Titus was actually on the island of Crete. We talked about that last week. And he was there because probably at the end of the book of Acts, Paul was in prison in Rome. If you remember Acts, at the very end of the book of Acts, he's under house arrest in prison in Rome. And then he gets released. And we don't have anything in Acts after the release of his imprisonment in Rome. But church tradition tells us that he went on a fourth missionary journey. And on the fourth missionary journey, what he did was he went with Titus to the island of Crete. And he started a number of churches on the island of Crete. And now what we're going to see today is Paul is looking to Titus, the pastoral epistle, this pastor on the island of Crete, to raise up elders, to raise up leaders in these house churches that are all over the island of Crete. And what we're going to see today is there's going to character qualities that need to be in the leaders of these leaders that uh, Titus is going to raise up on this island of Crete. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well... All these character qualities we're going to look at this morning are character qualities that leaders are supposed to have, but I think they're also supposed to be character qualities that we as Christians are supposed to have. Because again, title of message, character counts. And one of the most important things we could do in being a witness for Jesus Christ is not just talk it, but walk it. One of the most important things we could be is not just talkie-talkies, but walkie-talkies. That's corny, I know. That, that, that belongs in the children's ministry. I get it. But it's true, isn't it? It's not just about talking the talk, man. It's about walking the walk. It's living out Christianity before people's eyes. Because Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be, notice the word be, my witnesses. Not just talk a witness, be a witness. And that character quality is so important. Because again, Jesus said, let your light shine. Before men in such a way they may see your good works, and then they too may glorify your Father in heaven. Do you see that? And so important part, an important part of, of, of character, an important part of our witness, is we're gonna to see today. We're gonna to see three different areas of our character, three different areas. We're gonna see character counts in our families, character counts in our personal lives, and character counts in our doctrinal lives three different areas. So you ready to get into a church? All right, let's pray first. Father, we just thank you again for your word. Thank you that your word helps us, Lord. Your word, it teaches us to to be people that are equipped in righteousness, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd be people today that receive your word in such a way that we're just not hearers of your word, God, but we're doers of your word. People that are living out what we're learning. So bless this time now in your word. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. All right, here we go. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, if you're there, say amen. There we go. It says this. For this reason, I left you, Titus, in Crete, there it is, this island in the Mediterranean, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint, what, elders in every city as I directed you. Now, elders, synonymous in the New Testament, with pastors, with overseers, with shepherds, with bishops. And it's always Plural. We see that Paul would raise up plurality of leadership in the New Testament churches, and you have a plurality of leaders, and most often the elders were also the pastors in the New Testament church. Now we do a little different here. We have, we have pastors on staff here at Calvary Chapel, and then we also have elders that help oversee with me the business of the church. And so the, st- the, 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 the staff people are the pastors, and then the elders, our overseers, help us oversee the business of the church. And Paul's saying to Titus, now I want you to raise these guys up to be leaders and to be elders in these churches in Crete. And then he says this, appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And he said, namely, here's the first area of character, character in our family life. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, Having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. First character quality leaders. You've got to have character in your family. And it starts in your marriages. And if we want to be people of character that are being good witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, start in your home. And start with your, with your wife. Now notice, it says... The, the leaders, the character in the leaders needs to be character where they're the husband of one wife. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean like if they're divorced, they're disqualified from leadership? No, I don't think so. Does it mean that you've got to be married to be an elder in the New Testament church? No, I don't think so. I think Timothy, who was one of the pastor's elders in Ephesus, was probably single. So what does it mean, the husband of one wife? Well, literally translated in the Greek, it's this, a one woman man. You know what that means? You want to have character in your marriage, guys? Be a one woman man. What does that mean? You don't got eyes for anybody else. You don't have lust of the eyes or the lust of flesh for all these multiplicity of women out there. No. And it's it fine with, if you're married, be a one woman man. You, you, could, man you, could, you could have passion for your wife all you want. Let it rip, man. Let it rip. But be a one-woman man. And that'll bring character, and that'll bring safety, that'll bring security, that'll bring blessing to your marriages, too. And by the way, don't leave the wives out on this, either. Let's reverse it, too. I think women, if you want to be character, you want to character in your, your uh, marriages, be a one-man woman. Be hot for your husband, man. Be focused and don't have any other affiliation or flirtation or relationship with other men. And men, if you're married, don't have any flirtation or relationship or closeness to any other women. Because you're a one-woman man, and you're, ladies, you're a one-man woman. Billy Graham got this right. Billy Graham was, was, was 60 years of integrity in his ministry, and he had, he had microscopes on him. I mean there was newspapers, just reporters, paparazzi or whatever you call it, all the time around him, looking for dirt. And they never got dirt on him. You know why? Because it wasn't dirt. And he had this rule. It was actually the Modesto Manifesto. It goes all the way back to 1949. He met with his uh, whole team in a hotel in Modesto, California. And all these other evangelists were falling off the rails because of uh, lack of character or integrity in their ministries. And Billy Graham said, we're going to sign a contract team. And in this contract, we're going to say, first thing on the contract, we're going to say that as men on this team, we will never be alone with a woman besides our wife. It's true. They wouldn't be alone in a car. This isn't just Billy Graham. This is Cliff Barrows and all the other teammates. But we will never be in a car alone with another woman besides her wife. We'll never be in a restaurant alone with another woman besides her wife. We'll never be in, a, in any situation, a hotel room alone with anybody but our wife. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. If we're driving down the street and we see someone from church, a lady in the rain, and, and we're driving by herself in the car, she's going to get wet. Because we'll never be alone with a woman besides our wife in a bad situation. We're, we're setting ourselves up for character flaws in these areas. And guys, listen. Listen, guys. Satan wants to trip us up, at, first of all, in our families. And what we need to do is we need to be very careful in this area. Well, I have all these women that are just my bestest friends. And I'm into having women that are bestest friends. No, don't do that. Find some bestest friends that got that got some testosterone. (laughs) Guys, go deer hunting or something, man. A one woman man. Do you get that? And ladies, if you want to have character in your marriages, be a one man what woman. Your focus, your passion, your 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 romanticism is with your husband or with your wife. And you'll have character in this area. It's so important. I remember going to the first marriage conference when Heidi and I got married. We went to like this family life concert conference in San Diego. And we're going in, we're in the hotel room, it's like in a Marriott in San Diego. I'm going, this is cool, this is a nice place, and and we're all checking in and stuff. And I'm at, at this at this nice hotel, and this guy comes in with his wife. And I'm already a pastor, he didn't know I was a pastor. But I'm talking to this guy, and he, then he left, and we're registering up. at the, the. And I'm seeing him, and every single woman that came in after I'm at the front desk there, I'm watching him a little bit as Heidi's checking in for us. I'm watching him. Every single woman that came in, he was checking those women out while he was with his wife. I'm going, it's probably a good thing he's at a marriage conference because he needs it. And I tell you what, some of my favorite pastors in the last five years have not followed the Billy Graham rule. And they have not finished well in the ministry because of it. I got two guys specifically that I love, that I learned from. They built mega churches, and there was some great leadership on their part. They built great staffs, but they weren't careful in this area. And they went out in shame in their ministry rather than integrity. So I'm really, really. This is this is close to my heart. But I want that for every single every chapel couple in this room. That you are careful in this area. That you're careful, that you're careful. Please, because we want integrity. We want character. Starting in our families, it starts in the family with our marriages. So be a one woman man and a one man woman. Amen? Amen. Now let's look at the next thing in our families after integrity in our, our relationships with our spouse, it says this, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. The word uh, dissipation, interesting, it, it means waste. The word rebellion means riotousness. Have you ever had any teenagers in your family? Waste and riotousness. Now careful with this. I'm not going to lay a trip on you if you have kids that are not walking with the Lord, they're prodigal, they're rebellious. Because guess what? Kids have free wills, right? Kids can make the decisions to make bad decisions. It happens. But here's the promise of Scripture. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And so while we have the kids and we have influence with those kids, we need to train them in the ways of the Lord, that they're not living in dissipation and riotousness. You know where that starts, too? If you still have kids in your home, get them in church, man. I've heard way too many Christian parents say, well, my kids don't feel like going to church, so I'm just going to let them stay home while we go to church. No, don't do that. Draw a line and say, hey, as long as you're living under our roof, you go to church. We did that with the Hoppy kids. Every time Sunday morning or they want to sleep in or, or not go on Wednesday night to youth group, he said, no, you live in our house, you go to church. Hoppies go to church. And you know what happened with that? There was some rebellion. There was some stuff going on in their teenagers and stuff. But now that they're adults, guess what they're doing on Sunday mornings? They're going to church because that was the discipline they grew up with and that they grew spiritually because of that. And that's, they're not living in dissipation and riotousness because church was on their discipline, spiritual discipline as part of their life. So parents, do that with their kids. Influence them spiritually. But please, be not only training in the ways of the Lord at home, but get them in church, man. This is the training place for discipleship. Very important. So they don't live in dissipation and riotousness and rebellion. And by the way, if you have prodigal kids, again, just pray for them. Pray for them. Because oftentimes they'll they'll do U-turns for Christ. I think again of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, you know, he was a worldwide leader. He preached the gospel to more people in his time than any other human being that's ever lived. He's preached to millions of people. He's led millions of people to Christ. But you know, he had a prodigal. His name is Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham was just incorrigible. I mean, he, was, he, was, he wrote a book after he came back to Christ. He wrote a book, Rebel with a Cause. But before he was a rebel with a cause, he was a rebel that was prodigal. And it started young. I read stories about Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, and she would take all five kids to McDonald's and get Happy Meals. And he'd be so out of control, she would put uh, Franklin Graham, just as a boy or whatever, she'd put him in the trunk. (laughs) True story. And then she'd order the Happy Meals at the drive through and stuff. She'd get all the, ki- all the four kids fed in the, in the, in the c- car or whatever else. And then she'd do a U-turn and go to the back of the trunk. She'd open the trunk, give him uh, the Happy Meal, and then close the trunk again. Because he was so riotous and so rebellious. You can relate to that, some of you all, right? And then he went on to, in his teenage years to do drugs and alcohol and everything else. But Billy Graham never stopped praying for his son, never stopped sharing with his son, never stopped discipling and bringing discipleship into their home. And what happened? He did a U-turn for Christ, and he came back to God, recommitted his life, and now he's running the whole shebang. He's running the whole Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's in charge, and he's doing crusades all over the world, just like his dad did. So if you have prodigals, pray for them. Pray for them. Keep being a spiritual influence. And please, live out character, Christ-like character, before them. Because they're going to catch more of their Christianity to be caught than taught. Amen? And that's why this issue of character is so important. If we want our kids to grab onto it, they're going to catch it from the character, Christ-like character that's in our life. The difference Christ is making in our lives. Amen? All right, so that's character, first of all, in our family lives. Let's go on now. After character and or our fam- family says character in our personal life. For the overseer, again, overseer is synonymous with elder or pastor or leader. The overseer must be above reproach. Oh, above reproach. Another version says blameless. Does that mean perfect? Good luck with that. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says in 1 John chapter 1, it says very clear, uh, the scripture points to the fact that If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. So what is it saying here, being above reproach in our character? Why are these elders, are they supposed to be perfect? No, because no man can be perfect. What it means, the word above reproach means this, uh, lack of ability to accuse or accusations against you. It means you're not living in scandal where you have stuff going on in your personal lives where people can accuse you and the accusations will stick because you're living some lifestyle of sin and you're staying in the sin. We all struggle. We all make mistakes. We all sin. But if we're going to live above reproach, we keep short accounts. And we confess our sins. And he'll be faithful and just. He'll forgive us. And then he purifies us and we get on living for Christ. That's what it means to be above reproach. Is There's not scandal in your life. There's not accusations of immorality or improper, improper lifestyle as a Christian. You're above reproach. And then it says this the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self willed. Now, this gets into your personal life. What does it mean not to be self willed? It means to be like Jesus, who said, Father, not my will be done, but what did he say? Your will be done. Self self willed is the opposite of that. That's where you're just living for the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Self will is you're just living self, selfish, narcissistic lifestyle, which is a part of our culture. But the Christian's different because Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and then follow me. Jesus said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. Jesus made it very clear that disciples of Christ aren't self willed, they're God willed. Our priority now is just to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on our own understandings. In all our ways, acknowledge Him. And He will what? He'll make your path straight or He'll direct your paths. Not self-willed. And then it also says that we're not to be uh, in character. We're not to be quick-tempered. What does that mean? You don't fly off the handle. And we're all working on this. Pastor John's working on this. I I, I get in the car and if someone is at least going the speed limit, I start getting quick-tempered. And I pass them sometimes, hoping they don't see any Calvary Chapel stickers on the car. But what does the Bible say about being quick-tempered? The Bible says, everybody should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And a part of living in the Spirit is we start having a longer fuse. We're not flying off the handle all the time. So that's not a Christ-like character. And then it says, now we are not to be self-willed. We're not to be quick-tempered. This is a gimme right here. Gimme. We're not to be addicted to wine. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and we're drunk. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean, addicted to wine? The word addicted there means wine, ha- wine is in close proximity. Wine, you stay close to wine. And I think, honestly, I think the best policy as Christians, if we want Christ-like character, is just not have it as a part of your lifestyle. Hoppies, what we did all the time when our kids were in our house, and even to this day, is there's never alcohol in our home. I don't want to be close to that stuff. I had a dad that had 35 years of drinking problem. I don't want anything to do with that stuff. Because you go to restaurants and they say food and fine spirits, they're not fine. They are spirits, but they're not fine. So, be careful in this area of not having wine close and be a part of your lifestyle, addicted to it. And then it also says, after uh, addicted to wine, uh, not pugnacious. Now, one version about pugnacious is striker. Here's another gimme. You know, and praise the Lord, if you cross me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a striker. And you say, that doesn't happen in the church. Yeah, it does. Sometimes I, I was reading a book by Andy Stanley, whose father is Charles Stanley. It's a a book about church. And he said that when he was a kid growing up, his father moved uh, to Atlanta to take over as the pastor of First Baptist. And as he took over as the pastor of First Baptist, there was some deacons that weren't in agreement with him being the pastor, even though they had been called. And so they had a business meeting about it. And one of the deacons got up and then used some improper words in the pulpit during the business meeting in church. So Charles Stanley got up, uh, as he was using some improper words, just saying negative, bad things about Charles Stanley, but improper words. He said, no, we don't, we, we're not going to use words like that in this church. And Andy Stanley was just a boy at the time. He's sitting in the pew watching this thing. This dad's correcting this guy. And this guy turns around and strikes Charles Stanley and punches him in the pulpit to the ground. Wow. Don't be strikers. If we have business meetings... Talk to me afterwards. (laughs) Please, don't be pugnacious. Don't be violent. Don't be strikers. Not fond of sordid gain. What does that mean? It means you're not greedy. Remember back what Paul said to Timothy? The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now, it doesn't say money's wrong. Money's neutral. Money could be used for the kingdom. Money could be used to bless people. Money could be used for missions and ministry and start churches with money. Money is not wrong. Here's what's wrong. So when you love it more than God, and it becomes your God. Remember what Jesus said about this in Matthew. He said these words in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things we take care of. Don't have a heart that you're just always a lover of money. Be a lover of God. Our greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. This is the first and foremost commandment. And as we do that, God will take care of the other stuff. There's a reason why the streets in heaven are paved with gold. You know why? For the rest of eternity, we were walking on this gold in the streets of heaven. They are. Revelation says we're paved with gold. We're going to be walking on this gold for the rest of eternity to say people lied for this. People stole for this. People... Compromise friendships for this? And we're walking on, it's asphalt up here. Don't be a lover of money. Be a lover of God. Amen? Help you live in character. And then it says this, be hospitable. Here's another personal life thing. What's hospitable? It means being a lover of guests, fond of strangers. You want to be an ambassador for Christ? You want to be a witness for Christ? When people come to this church, be fond of strangers. Be a lover of guests. Amen? And that's a part of being an ambassador for Christ, man. We love people that come in here. You know, the Bible actually says when we're hospitable to people, sometimes we're entertaining angels and we don't even know it. That's kind of cool. Sometimes maybe some angels are walking in that door. Be hospitable to them. Abraham had that, right? And you guys are going to as people are walking through the doors, the next few weeks you say, is that an angel? <laughs> no, but treat them like one hospitable, fond of guests, lover of strangers. It's part of living in integrity and and being an ambassador for Christ. Loving what is good. Loving what is good. Now, there's another scripture, cross reference. Romans 12, 9, says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. If you want to have a personal life that's in order, be hating evil and clinging to what is good. The word cling is hold on to it, man. Cling to what is, Jesus put it this way, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Cling to what is good. And you will live in personal integrity if you do that. Be sensible. What does it mean to be sensible? Sensible means you're not making dumb decisions all the time. We've talked about this before, though. If you're sensible, you're living in wisdom. And what does wisdom mean? Wisdom means you have a skill in the way you're living. And you're skilled in wisdom because you're living out what you're learning, and you're being sensible because you're making the right decisions that lead the right direction, and then that'll be the right destination. And if you want a different destination, what do you got to do? You got to go back to the decisions, right? And go back to what decisions are you making in your personal life? And if you're making the wrong decisions, start making godly decisions instead of ungodly decisions, and then your direction will change and your destination will change. Does that make sense? Amen. I heard an amen back there. Praise the Lord. And then it says, after that, sensible, just, Heidi's theme for the women's conference coming up, is he has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Justice. Justice is you do the right thing. Justice is you're just in your interactions with other people. Justice is, means, means you're treating people the way you want them to treat you, with justice. Important in our personal lives to be just. Devout. What does the word devout mean? Holy. Oh, Pastor John's being one of those holy rollers again. Yeah, I am because we're supposed to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, called out to be his. And what does the word holy mean? It means this. It means you're different. It means Romans 12 too. You're not conformed to this world. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God that which is good and acceptable and Perfect you're not different than the rest of the world you're not living in integrity and you're not serving christ we're to be different now does that mean we to be perfect no we all make mistakes we are people the sinners are saved by god's amazing grace but we're to be different when everybody else is swearing like a sailor we're to guard our mouths because out of the abundance of the heart mouth speaks when everybody else is getting drunk every weekend no 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 no, we're going to go to church instead. We're going to stay away from being addicted to the alcohol like everybody else in our culture is. When everybody else is being immoral and being not one-man one women or one-woman men, we're different. We're holy. We're going to be different. We're going to stand out. And you know what? I said this over and over again. Holiness leads to happiness. Amen. You want a happy life? You want more joy in your life? Then live a holy life. Because God's commandments are not burdensome. They're there to bless us. And when we live holy lives, we're blessed. God's commandments are there to be not a burden, but a blessing. And then it says this, self-controlled. John, you would have to bring that up with all these New Year's resolutions. I'm not keeping it anymore. Self-controlled. Have you noticed the gym is always filled the first couple weeks in January? And March is already approaching, and it's already starting to empty out. New Year's resolutions don't work. You know why? Because they're in the flesh. So how do we live a self-controlled life? The way you live a self-controlled life is real simple. You live a spirit-filled life. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the more you get into God's Spirit, the more you study His Word, the more you, you're worshipers in the Spirit of God, the more you're with God's people. As iron sharpens iron, you're going to be changing, and that they're going to be self-controlled. And you know what? If you want more self-control in your life, don't be making New Year's resolutions. Here's what you need to do. Get more in the Spirit. Focus more on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Be a person that is inundating your life with biblical teaching, with prayer, with worship. I just got some of these, what are they called, AirPods, those little white things They stick in your ear and it looks kind of funny. And I was listening to some worship on there. It sounds really good. I'm going, I'm going to use these things till they wear out, man. Because of the teaching and the worship. and the, I, want, I want to not just have teaching and worship when I'm in church, man. I want it all week long because I want to live a spirit-filled life because I want to live a self-controlled life. I want to live in victory rather than defeat. I want to be a victor rather than a victim. Amen? And I want that for you all, too. And it's, it's called a spirit-filled life. You want more self-control in your personal life? Live in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Be spirit-filled Christians. It'll help. It'll happen. You'll start getting victory in areas you've never had victory in before because the Spirit of God will give you the strength you need to overcome those things you need victory in. And then it goes on. After personal life, now we're going to talk about doctrinal life. Last thing, character in our families, character in our personal life. Last thing, character in our doctrinal life. Look what it says, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that you will be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Now, the word holding fast, interesting. It means this, adhere to. It means that if you want personal life with integrity, if you want to be a person of character, it, it goes back to doctrine. It goes back to having a life where you're holding fast. You're adhering to the word of God. And the word of God being, starts becoming a part of your life. It says in First John 2, 14, the young men were overcoming the evil one because the word of God was abiding in them. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. I was reading an interesting story this week. Uh, It goes all the way back to 2 Samuel 23. And it's interesting because this guy's name is Eliezer. And I'm reading this story and it's Eliezer, the son of Dudu. True. If my dad's name was Dudu, I'd find a nickname, I think. I'm the son of Dudu. You look it up, 2 Samuel 23, verses 9 and 10. But it talks about this Eliezer, the son of Judah. It says he was an one of the three mighty men with David. And when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle, and the men of Israel were withdrawn, he arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary, and he clung. What did he do with his sword? He clung to the sword, clung to the sword, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him to only strip the slain. You know what, that, that's a symbolic, uh, spiritually to us, as soldiers for Christ today, we're not one of David's mighty men, we're one of Jesus' mighty men, and we're supposed to be people, just like Eliezer, the son of Dudu, we're supposed to cling to the sword, and what's the sword? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and we all have battles, just like this mighty man had a battle. He, we have battles every day, our struggle, but it isn't against flesh and blood though, flesh and blood, though, it's against what? rulers against the powers against the world forces of darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places and every single day if you're a christian you're a soldier for christ you're in a battle against the world the flesh and the devil you're in a battle against the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life and you know how you win that battle by holding fast the word of life Jesus set the example for us. He was attacked right before he began his ministry by demonic forces, by the devil himself. And remember what he did? He held fast the word of life. And he said, it is what? Written. And he quoted from memory Deuteronomy three times. It is written. It is written. It is written. And that's why we need to have God's Word as a part of the DNA of our spiritual lives. Because when we face those battles, we could could quote back the Scripture we got in our hearts against the, the forces of darkness that are trying to get us to be victims rather than victors. I love God's Word. I love God's Word because it helps me not live a spiritual life. I love God's Word because it gives me victory. If you know Pastor John at all, I like victory. I like winning. And I love when the Word of God helps me to win against the forces of darkness that are arrayed against me. And it does on a daily basis. God's word is stored up in my heart, and I'm going to keep storing it in my heart because I want to win. And I'm going to keep teaching you all God's word too. I'm going to get to God's word in your hearts so that during the week when you're not here in church, you got God's word as part of the DNA of your spiritual lives, and you're going to hold fast to the word of life, and you're going to win in the battles that you face. Not every battle. You'll You'll struggle. The righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. But the more you get God's word abiding in you and you hold fast the word of life, the more you'll have the chance of victory in those personal areas in your life. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can do all things through Christ, who strengthens us. But we got to use the tools he gives us. If you go into my office, I got a whole corner in my office of swords. Because every time I teach through Ephesians about the Word of God being the sword of the Spirit, I love talking about how, man, I love yield, wielding that sword. And I love that the Word of God is like a sword. And then every time we talk about the sword of the Spirit, I get a new sword in my office somehow. I got a Braveheart sword. I got a ninja sword. I got, I got all kinds of swords in my office. Because people know that I love swords. Because I love the Word of God. I love what we do here at Calvary Chapel. I love that we believe that God's word is infallible, inerrant. It's authoritative, and we're going to get into it. We're going to read it. We're going to study it. We're going to hear it taught. We're going to memorize it. We're going to hold fast to the word of life because it will help us to live in our personal lives with integrity and Christlikeness. Amen? Amen. Let's close up the chapter now. Last part about doctrine. For there are many rebellious men empty talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision these are the Judaizers that were trying to bring legalism into the church they were trying to say that if you really want to be a Christian you've got to be circumcised as an adult and you've got to follow dietary laws they're bringing legalism into the church and, and Paul says about this who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families they're teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain one of themselves, a prophet of their own said, hey, these Cretans are always liars, evil beasts and lazy gluttons. That's the culture that he was pastoring these churches in. The culture of Crete, oh, there's, a, there's actually a, a, a phrase in the Roman Empire, uh, to Cretanize meant to be either a liar or a glutton. To Corinthianize meant you were so sexually immoral, but to cretinize meant you were either lying or you're being a glutton. And, and now Titus has to be a, a man of God's word in this culture. Verse 13, this testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them. These false teachers, reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. It's talking about food. It's talking about Jesus declared all food clean because it's not what goes in a man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his mouth because out of the abundance of the heart, right, the mouth speaks. All things are pure talking about food and dietary laws and stuff. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God. These false teachers profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. In other words, they weren't being walkie-talkies. They were talking, 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 idle talk, false teaching talk, talk about you got to be circumcised you got to follow the old testament laws if you really want to be saved and what is what does paul say that titus needs to do in this situation does he does he say well t- well titus just be tolerant titus it doesn't matter what you believe as long as they're sincere in their beliefs about circumcision as long as they're devout in those beliefs that's fine you know that's our culture today too I think the chief virtue that's always, always being heralded in our culture, here, especially in the United States, and in Europe, too, is tolerance. You've got to tolerate everything. And it doesn't matter what people believe in our culture. it, it, it says Our culture says you can believe whatever you want. Um, Oprah says there's many roads up the same mountain to God. And I tell you what, if you go on the Oprah show and you, 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 you challenge her on that, she gets pretty upset because that's our culture. And what are we supposed to do in that culture? We're supposed to hold fast the word of life. In this culture we're living in where tolerance is the chief virtue and everything's fine, it doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere and you'll be fine. We come with Jesus' words and say, hey, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. We come with Jesus' words that says, there's only one way, and that way is Jesus. We come with Jesus' words that makes makes it very, very clear. The road to destruction is broad, and many are those who find it, but the road to eternal life is narrow, and few are those who find it. And how do we stay away from this, this culture we're in that, that, that doesn't hold to the truth? It gets back to this again, doesn't it? It's being people of the word. Because the truth is found in here. And we need to stay adhered to. We need to stay holding fast to. We need to keep this as the sword of our spirit. And we need to be people that aren't afraid to say this is right and this is wrong. This is what the Bible says about that. And we need to just, the authoritative word of God is what we stand on and not what our culture says. Because the Bible says don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen? Amen. And all who live a godly life in this way will get some heat. They'll get some persecution. But you know what? We're not on vacation here, church. We're in a war. And soldiers in wars aren't afraid to take out the sword. Now, we don't want to be beating people up with our Bibles. We don't want to be rude and arrogant. We want to be people that talk about what we believe with gentleness and respect. But don't be ashamed of it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to whoever believes. Let's stick to the book, amen? This is the only thing in my life that's authoritative in regards to truth. The only thing that I could stand on that I say, this is what I believe and I will stick with is the word of God. It's not self-help books. Not leadership gurus out there. It's not all this other stuff out there. I'm sticking with the book. The whole truth (laughs) and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. Amen? So, what we learned this morning? God wants us to be people of character. Character counts. He wants us to be character, first of all, in what? Our families. Let's throw it up on the screen there. Uh, Families first. Our character counts in our families. Secondly, God wants us to be people of character where? In our personal lives. He wants us to be people that are above reproach. Does that mean perfect? No. But it does mean that we're people that are living with integrity and there's not scandals going on our lives. There's not things people can accuse us of that were improper in the way we're living for Christ. And lastly, third thing, we need to be have character in our what? What we believe. And what is the source for what we believe? It is our culture that says toleration is our chief virtue. No, the source for what we believe is the word of God. All scripture is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen, church? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word helps us to live in character, God. And Father, I pray for this character, first of all, in our families, Lord. I pray for every single marriage that's represented in this room, Lord. I pray that our marriages would be marriages between men that are one-woman men and women that are one-man women. Yes, and I pray, God, that we would keep our passion focused on the person we're married to and not anybody else. God, I pray for our kids, the next generation that's coming up, Lord. Help us to live with character in such a way that they can catch what we say we believe. Help us to be people that are not just talking the talk, but walking the walk before the next generation. And Father, if there's people here that have kids that are in prodigal and they're riotous and they're rebellious they're living in dissipation, Father, give them a perseverance in their prayers. Help them to keep praying for that next generation and those kids that may, might be wayward, Lord. Help them to believe the promise that as we train up children in the way they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it, Lord. And Father, I pray for this area of our personal lives too, Lord. Help us to be people that are living out what we learned here this morning. Help us to be sensible. Help us to be hospitable. Help us to be people that are living above reproach in our personal lives, Lord. And forgive us, Lord, for those times we fail. Forgive us for those times where we've come up short, Lord. And Father, we believe that, yes, we'll fall, but we're going to rise again. And I pray for anybody that might be here this morning, Lord, that needs to rise again. That needs to come back to you. Re- surrender their life to you. I pray that today, this Sunday, it might be the day they say, I'm getting back on track. I'm going to get back to living in integrity and character and Christ-likeness in my life. I won't be perfect, but I'm going to get back to seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness so you can add all things unto me so your goodness and your mercy will follow me as I allow you to be the shepherd again in my life. Father, I pray for this last year of doctrine too, Lord. Help us not to be people that are just going with the flow of the world and what we believe. Help us to be people that are learning God's word and living God's word and standing on God's word for our beliefs and our practices and our faith, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would never go with just the flow of our culture. Help us to go with the flow of your word. Help us to be people that build our faith and what we believe upon the doctrinal truths we're learning in the word of God. Thank you, God, for the gift of your word. Thank you that your voice speaks to us through this book. And help us not to be people that just profess it but don't live it. Help us to be learning it and living it, Father. And We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people, sit. Amen. Church.